Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Quinnell. She wonders if you all have ever actually had Turkish Delight. She can't believe Edmund sold out his family for that trash-ass dessert. Welcome, Quinnell. Hello. Thank you. And <laughs> you know what? If you all like Turkish Delight, how about you go over to my Twitter and comment about it? Because I don't think anybody does, actually. And I've when never I was had young, it. Is it good? No. <laughs> what is what exactly is it it's like a this sort of gelatiny confection sugar dessert they're, okay. they're weird they taste like like weird little squares of gelatin i don't <laughs> i don't understand the hype and i remember when i was younger and i you know read the narnia series being like wow it must be absolutely delicious Mm-hmm. You know, for him to just have been this stoked about it every time that this witch basically bribed him with candy. <sighs> it's not even a good candy. But it was to him. It, it was the best candy. It was already time. conceptually the, 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 like a flawed that he just sold his family out for candy. And it's not even a good one. Anywho, I implore you all to find Turkish Delight wherever it is found locally and... <laughs> waste your money on the experience so what you're saying is edmund should have needed a better dessert to sell out his family for only I, then would it have been justifiable the very least given that he's basically <laughs> breaking the first rule of like don't trust adults who insert action here and it's bribe you with candy and well what candy would it take for you to betray your family <laughs> I, I don't think that there is one. However, um, I think that as a kid, because of the tin that the Turkish Delights came in, I was imagining like, you know, those Danish cookies that they only give you at Christmas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Their holiday. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I imagine something like that. Now, these, these days, maybe if there was going to be a candy, maybe like endless amounts of mango high juice. Mm. high chews are good high chews are good certainly not a goram turkish delight <laughs> anywho speaking to- of something to chew on there was some news <laughs> yeah i know i was waiting i was trying to find one i was like we can't have our dessert we we've not eaten our vegetables us in the united states uh to follow the ongoing updates of tenant It's probably going to show in China first. They announced on Wednesday that it had passed all the government approvals. There's a lot of like very weird details of it where like typically they've been limiting it to nothing more than two hours. Tenet is two hours and 31 minutes. Apparently they're going to waive that or people are just going to ignore that. The main takeaway is, and I'm not endorsing this, there's absolutely going to be so much pirating of this movie. Like no tomorrow. I think this may be the most pirated movie that people attempt to go for. Even more than like when Game of Thrones at its peak, people were torrenting that. Tenet, I, again, not endorsing it. There are people who have worked hard on this movie behind the scenes, doing everything. It's their jobs. But that's what this is kind of setting up for. I, I don't know. It's very interesting because the whole thing of the movie being released and why they've been holding it is because they wanted people to see it in theaters in the United States but people might pirate it from the United States and then not go see it in theaters. And I don't know. It's, it just is so strange, this whole rollout. And I don't think it's going to be a Labor Day release in the United States, like they're saying. I think they're going to have to push it again. 
I don't know. I just, I want to give an update because this has been the weirdest thing where every single other big tentpole release movie has pushed out. But for some reason, Tenet, they're just, they're just plugging away. (sighs) (laughs) He said we won't deny the world this film. I guess. And it's like every other country has flattened their curve. So they think it's more feasible. Apparently China has been opening some things and they're going to show some previous Christopher Nolan movies to then kind of build the hype around it. And I don't know, I guess select cities, Labor Day weekend, that's what they're shooting for in the United States. But it looks like China first, at least the guarantee, then the UK, Australia, probably Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Russia. That's what's listed. Plus like 70 countries are all on the list. I also don't think they should open there as well, because I think in an enclosed theater space is potentially risky. But you know guess we just didn't make the cut i know we really didn't um speaking of cuts because blade uh, <laughs> well that's not where we're starting i mean uh wolverine with his claws um today we'll be talking about monsters and heroes and more specifically heroes that struggle with their monstrosity and some of them they internally struggle and some of them are sort of externally labeled so we can start with x-men uh, they most openly struggle with the idea of monstrosity. Like, I feel like it's because the heroes in X-Men are being like hunted and persecuted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of, there've been a lot of comparisons to them um, being coded as queer or other. And they're sort of so societal outsiders. They sort of deal with that rejection in different ways. Have you seen all the X-Men movies? I actually think have which is so rare usually i know i'm not sure i there have been a lot of them there's a lot of timelines a lot of weird stuff going on all of the film series for me to have gone out of my way to see i think i've seen them all in theaters really i have not seen them all in theaters did you see dark phoenix in theaters i did whoa okay um i saw apocalypse twice I saw Apocalypse not in theaters, but I only saw it once because I didn't particularly like a lot of it. I saw it twice in theaters. Why did you see this twice? I what really was the second loved time? it the first time. Okay. What did you love about it? Okay. I think that there are films that are definitely quote unquote bad. Mm-hmm. That are so captivating the first time that you watch them that you don't notice that they're bad. Right. And for me, that's just like a different, it's it's a different kind of quality movie. And that was definitely one of those movies that the first time I watched it, I was engaged the entire time. And because it, it just wowed you so much? Well, just because, I mean, the pace of the plot is really interesting in that movie. It doesn't give you a lot of time to sit and think about whether the actors are doing well the cgi is really convincing i'll admit oh Um, for sure technically it's pretty great it's yeah and but it's it's very busy (laughs) it just has a lot going on and i feel like that film was it was hard to ignore and then the second time i watched it i was like oh this is what chase means (laughs) because we did talk about it it's a little schlocky it's a little bit all over the place I don't know. My my favorite of the X-Men movies that I think relates most to the theme that you kind of had in mind is Logan, is the one where it's him and Charles and kind of the whole X-Men mythology grappling with the fact that people are getting hurt because of them and they are responsible for a lot of pain and suffering. And 
trying to reconcile with that and him at a certain point being like i am beyond redemption and trying to find his way back to that see if for his final a little bit of a spoiler but it was his last movie his final act of goodness to try and save that and that's what made it the most compelling to me um it's the least related to all the other movies <laughs> they even at one point look at the comic books and are like none of this stuff we're not like all bright colored suits it didn't happen like that and that might be why i like it the most because it just kind of felt the most clean of just like we're cutting through all of it we're remaining focused and that's i don't know and when you're talking about sort of that duality of like are you a hero or villain when it's never that clean cut because like the opening of the movie while he's defending himself a little bit, he brutally murders mm -hmm. a bunch of people who like, I don't know, there were some criticisms where it's like, yeah, this feels like it's a little bit reveling in the spectacle of him doing this and whether that violence, not maybe because of him, but is sort of racially motivated. It still is like, no, he's a bad person for doing this. These people were trying to steal his car, but he way took it very far and just, totally destroyed all of them and i'm like this is the hero this is this supposedly is the the good guy in this movie and every time he's trying to do the right thing people get hurt and he makes it worse for everybody absolutely that one it is definitely the one that focuses most on logan being a, a monster instead of a hero not just a monster and a hero often instead of a hero you always like the doom and gloom movies. I do. I do. <laughs> I am going to say that for similar reasons, I think that X-Men First Class is a great example. I like that one too. I'll acknowledge that. Uh, I mean, you definitely just have a lot of origin stories and just a lot of conversation about how these heroes came to be themselves. And I really enjoyed that in their interaction with persecution and not just as you know monsters or mutants but also more literal types of persecution because it you know begins with nazis yeah so just sort of that juxtaposition and like the way charles and eric uh xavier and magneto both are two sides of a different coin with how they're trying to deal with it and i appreciate their dynamic kind of most in that movie weirdly enough mm -hmm. because it's Definitely. a clear divergence of their path where they both are realizing that there are two different methods of how to fix their current predicament and the do you remember the line where uh charles is trying to stop eric from killing the supposed villain of the movie and he says like something something was just following orders and mm -hmm. immediately like this is where i like um fastbender's performance his face just immediately like goes stone cold and he's like yep not not listening to you anymore like that was the wrong thing to say which is kind of charles's arrogance and i think in some times where he doesn't empathize to people very well where he's quote unquote a good person but really has a hard time understanding other people's pains and struggles he's sometimes ironically for being a super being that can see everything he's very narrowly focused on emotional concerns because ah it didn't have to happen that way and you could see it and feel it coming but he made so many mistakes that he was losing Eric without even realizing it, which is a very kind of sad, dramatic device that we're seeing it fall apart, knowing this is going to happen, but still thinking Absolutely. maybe it could be fixed. But he keeps pushing him away with every single thing he says or does. I like so I like first class, too. It's also yeah. a little silly at times. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I really appreciate um 
comedic relief. <laughs> I struggle a lot with doom and gloom films that don't That's give at least a good chuckle once in a while. I will say, just not to to take away from first class about Apocalypse because I didn't get to say this. No, I think go that, for it. I think that um, Nicholas Holt's character, Beast. I like his McCoy, portrayal of it. I think that his character struggles the most in terms of, of the idea of being a monster or a hero, specifically because mm-hmm. he tries to use his ability scientifically to basically cure himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's one of the few characters who really pursues that route, like really deciding that whether it's not about how I deal with this or how I go about using my powers in the world, but just truly not wanting them anymore. Right. He and, wants to find the cure more than anything. Yeah. And that, at least in this timeline. Yeah. The Kelsey Grammer timeline. I, I don't know about that one. But his rejection of it only makes it worse. Right. He tries to experiment on himself and it makes his condition beyond manageable. It's kind of a sad irony that him trying to fix it made it unfixable. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I will say is kind of unfortunate through all this. I don't think they handle Mystique super well in some instances, especially in some of the later movies, but I think that might be because Jennifer Lawrence just kind of wanted to get away from a lot of the movies. <laughs> Cause by the end it's like she's like, I don't want to do the blue makeup the whole time, even though that's precisely the point, is that Mystique yeah. didn't care to hide who she was. Um and then they spoiler alert in the last one, remove her character from the story very suddenly, and I was like, Oh, she's not in the movie anymore. I guess she was shooting, I don't know. Was Hunger Games at that time? No. She was know. done with those by then. Yeah, I don't I don't know what she was doing. <laughs> the one last thing I'll say in defense of Logan is even with the doom and gloom, there is kind of a heart to it mm-hmm. and there is some hope to it. Well, I think that's um, always present in films in which you bring in children to like for sure. films. There's always just like that glimmer that's there in their presence. But I think also between um Logan and Charles, because Charles also it's never shown, but it's alluded to that he lost control of his powers and killed everyone and that he wasn't able to keep himself in check. And that was everyone's downfall, his mistake. But he gets some sort of catharsis towards the end and some sort of reckoning with that. Mm-hmm. And it's like a road trip movie, but like that journey he goes on is not just literal. It's that he's finally feeling like there's purpose and hope and that he can do something good again and help people. I don't know. I like it. It's not exactly funny. I'm trying to think if there are any jokes in it. I think they have a joke when they're sitting around the table, but then of course, like five minutes later, everyone's dead. <laughs> it's definitely not a funny film. I think I also saw Logan in theaters. That's so wild. Um, yeah, they, it was it was really heavy, and at the end, I was very sad. But yeah. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts on X Men before we go to the one that started it all? Well, I was going to say, I think Logan really wraps up um, Wolverine's story really well. Mm-hmm. They um, honestly maybe should have ended the movies there because then they, I don't, Dark Phoenix kind of felt like a letdown. They were trying to do the that story again because they had done it in the third X-Men original movie. And I am curious for New Mutants, but it looks just so disconnected. It looks like a horror movie in its own story. I'm excited about that, though. I, I love, am excited about it. I don't want them it, to run it into the, the ground. If they connect it back in some weird way, it's just going to feel really strange. I just, I would be appreciative if they have the 
kind of guts to just be like, we're making this movie disconnected from everything. We don't care. We're not going to do some weird tie-in sequel setup because there's no way that's going to be done seamlessly, especially yeah. watching that first initial clip. I'm like, where is anything happening? Who are any of this? Let's just own story, nothing else. Don't don't have suddenly at the end, like Charles wheels in and is like, hey, everybody, do you want to come to my school? I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> I don't hate those, but okay. <laughs> Great. Well, speaking of characters that struggle with self-hatred, let's talk about oh. Blade. Um, because he does suff- suff- uh, struggle with a lot of self-hatred. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this desire to have this vampirism and bloodlust tempered and maybe even take a cure. So I guess at the beginning of Blade, it's sort of a traditional tragedy. You've got a hero seeking revenge for the murder of his mother. Um, but even through the, but throughout the film, even through the truly terrible cgi it hasn't (laughs) aged the best shooting it is aged terribly but it's the plot hasn't the plot's fantastic i still think it's really interesting to watch it and the fight scenes are still really fun but Mm -hmm. some of that cgi and some of the sort of inconsistent shots there's one at the end where he puts his arm up to like guard himself from blood splatter and there's no blood splatter and it's just anyway um it reveals that there's there's more driving blade than just his relationship to his mother because mm-hmm. um oh my gosh i forgot the character's name the one who who raised him i can't remember as well i will say while you're looking that a blade is interesting because it kind of was the first superhero movie even though there are elements of it where it's a little bit horror and that's what i kind of like about it but without blade there probably wouldn't have been at least how they are a lot of the superhero movies that we're seeing which is why it's interesting that there's going to be a blade movie with mahershala ali that comes back it's obviously going to be very different because wesley snipes and mahershala ali are very different actors i'm not dissing either of them but they have their very separate styles i am stoked about seeing him play that character me too me too i actually don't think that they're so different that it is going to be like a very different character i'm excited to see Mahershala Ali really interpret the Blade character, but I don't mm. think. I guess I was thinking about Rami a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and about you know seeing him sort of play the stoic mm-hmm. sort of character. I just think that that's going to be really applicable, and I don't. I, just, I don't think that it's going to be too jarringly different. For sure, I'm excited about it. I just think Wesley Snipes has like more of like the one-liners kind of cheese a little bit i want to see mahershala that. <laughs> they better not cut out my cheese watching him mouth what the fuck was everything to me it was so so funny because it was exactly how i felt let me rephrase if if wesley snipes is good old american cheese mahershala is going to be some swiss cheese it's going to be it's going to be cheese nonetheless but just a little different different taste a little different flavor for sure um his name is whistler so whistler raised him and mm. I feel like Whistler is, like, it's really his dad. He's really responsible yeah, he's for instilling all of his morals and his attitude towards vampires. And when he meets his mom, spoiler alert, she's not dead. Mm-hmm. The lack of familial relationship is just palpable. Not well, because he him, doesn't know her. Not just that. It's also exacerbated by her weird sexual energy. Like, she gets, she's so weird. Like, I get it. She has an age. She's a vampire. She's still hot, but she's weird. <laughs> she gets way, way, way too close to his face, and it feels seductive. I don't like it. 
<laughs> was that your biggest critique is those moments you're like whoa <laughs> i mean uh, my biggest critique is i don't understand why frost is in a, is so concerned with being a day one is he just wearing makeup is that his, his secret weapon as a vampire because he calls sure. him the day walker while they're both standing outside in broad daylight and blade's like oh i think your mascara is running or something like that and i'm like is that that's the whole secret you could just be outside but you need to be wearing makeup you have to wear like spf 5000 and you'll be fine it's just i, I hated that plot wise um but yeah that and his weird relationship with his mom but i felt like the, i didn't feel like that was a critique i felt like it sort of made you understand more about his character mm-hmm. like he's so his goals and what drives him is so different than what you think it is at the beginning which is sort of what will become classic i guess it wasn't classic yet but mm-hmm. you know will become a classic relationship to you know motivate a character and then i feel like at the end he's sort of reconciled with a lot of that self-hatred because that girl basically tells him that she can cure him mm-hmm. and he just decides that he doesn't want the antidote because he still needs the advantages that like come with vampirism to fight vampires she means i guess the opposite position is like no longer with vampires as a species but just mm-hmm. more in line with like a condemnation of their behavior so do you think it's him accepting the parts of him that are quote-unquote monstrous or is it him just being like i need to have this in order to still be able to fight the fights i need to i felt like it was both like okay so his his decision to feed on that girl and mm-hmm. which was shot just like a sex scene and yeah. very uncomfortable. Well, there's a long history of seductively shot vampire. This one movies. was weirder. There was <laughs> unnecessary thrusting. <laughs> there was he had to get leverage. It doesn't even make sense. He had and to then, get in the right position in order to get the most amount of blood. And then his weird fight scene with his mom is also shot like a sex scene. <laughs> Not to mention like more than half of like the romantic interests in this film are black women which i guess makes sense because in some ways it is a black film but that was really Mm -hmm. interesting to me as well but i (laughs) i don't know i guess i felt like after interacting with his mother who became a vampire and sort of let that vampirism change her from whatever sort of innocent that we saw her at the as at the beginning and his experience like feeding and being able to stop and use that power to do something better he didn't seem as disgusted with himself as he had throughout the rest of the film because he at least come to terms with it yeah well just was before it was sort of like every time she saw that he was a vampire he was like i'm a monster this is a monstrous part of me you can't fix it it's just i'm terrible (laughs) and i'm just doing my best to to make mm-hmm. the best of that and i felt like at the end it wasn't so much like he didn't carry that as much in his delivery mm-hmm. it's more like i'm gonna go out and be a hero and i need my superpowers right which is why i think it's almost less that he is like happy with himself but he's like this is who i am i need to be able to do this otherwise i can't protect people which is where it shifts from being anti-hero flawed towards an ending decision that is i have to do this to protect people even if i'm not exactly comfortable with being this person i have to put myself second to all the other people i have to protect yeah i agree i I mean i definitely agree with that i guess i just i'm not sure whether or not he still feels 
are he still supposed to feel that sort of animosity towards mm-hmm. his own vampirism? Because there's a cure and he's just almost like, I'll take it later. Hold on to it. <laughs> so you think it's not even that serious? <laughs> no, it's not. That's that's how it feels before. It's like there's the, a monstrosity in me which cannot be controlled or tempered, and he's broody about it. Yeah. By the end, he's he's very optimistic, and I feel like there's a a shift in that. Well, there are more movies too. Did you watch? Yeah, the other I did movies? not watch more. I only watched okay. the first one. So you could watch the second one, and then I would steer clear of the third one because the third <laughs> right. one, he's not really in it as much. Ryan Reynolds shows up like which is a little weird. He, Ryan Reynolds in particular movies fits, but it's like he was doing his sort of Deadpool snarky joke shtick, but when he's not quite the lead, it doesn't really work. The second one might be worth it, though. I won't say anything. We'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll watch the second one. Maybe I'll just hold out from Herschel Ali and then just do a direct comparison. But maybe maybe it's that it's like Blade is like a mantle that he's taking up. He's not the same yeah. character. It's like a James Bond thing where it's like you take yeah, up the you name. You can compare the Bonds. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they have a thing about them. I just, um, what I like about Blade more than anything is like best sort of initial superhero movie starting out because like superhero movies before that were like there was Superman and Batman, but they were sort of like like the action and the costumes was like a still a little bit silly at times. Hokey. It was hokey a little hokey. Films. This was no, like forever, gritty. Please. Like there's the blood shower like oh dance God, scene. It's terrible. <laughs> that blood shower is terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, I just it's as an opening scene, it is so so upsetting. Well, it immediately sets the tone. You're like, this is the world we're in. This is what we're doing. It ends up being the best vampire movie. Sorry, Twilight. I I. I don't know. Okay, well, I don't. Uh, uh, I guess I can't think of other better vampire movies. I like. I would say a girl walks TV home shows. alone at night, but that's like a very different vampire movie. Well, I was also going to add. Um, I'm really sad that Donald Logue, who played Quinn, mm-hmm. Donald, maybe it's Donald Logue. I'm sad he didn't become like a you know a big star. I, yeah. <laughs> I saw him and I was like, where do I know him from? And then I realized that I knew him from like a. ABC Family sitcom that got yeah. canceled. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, that's kind of sad. Yeah, he still was, was working. He still was getting some jobs and stuff. I mean, I, I yeah, that's great. I just I was sad because I felt like his face was so recognizable and his whole vibe was just was it was classic. I like really enjoyed it. And then I went to see what else he was in. It's not a lot of quality work. <laughs> which made me sad. So I mean, let's cast him in more stuff. I'd like to see him again. I like his weird vibe. Kind of reminds me of the dude. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the sort of film he belongs in. You're right. Anyhow, any final thoughts about Blade? No, just that it's good and people should kind of go back on it. And there might be the CGI, like you said, where you're kind of like, oh boy. But I don't know. I remember I saw, I saw Wesley Snipes in Dolomite is my name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, Wesley Snipes is great because there's there's a scene in Dolomite is my name because he's the director and the only mm-hmm. one that actually knows what the hell he's doing. And Eddie Murphy's character, Dolomite, turns to him and like after they shoot a scene and it's terrible because the whole joke is that he's playing a real life guy that doesn't know how to make movies, is not an action star. So he's like really bad choreography. And Wesley Snipes' character in the background is just like covering his face. And it's like, <laughs> terrible. It's like, how was that? Do we need to do another take? He's like 
no, I, I think that was perfect. Because <laughs> he's like, I want to get my check and get out of here. Yeah, I want to be done with this. One line, the one delivery. I don't know. He has he has good comedic timing when he needs it in the movie, but he also he also can do a lot of the the more serious kind of like action scenes and stuff. It's it's good. Oh yeah, I definitely really appreciate him as an actor. And honestly, you know what? He's in Dolomite is my name, looking just like Wesley Snipes, and I forgot it was even him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in a costume. He's not looking all that different. He makes it work for him, even if it's just kind of himself. I remember that joke pretty pretty prominently from the whole movie. It was one of my favorite little little gags that they had. Well, speaking of characters that are going to be played by a bunch of different actors, <laughs> Altered Carbon <laughs> um, is very similar to Blade um, mm-hmm. in that Takeshi Kovach, his philosophy is anti-sleeves. I don't know if you all have seen Altered Carbon. It's a TV show on Netflix. And basically the central plot is that Takashi is anti-sleeve, stacks, eternal life, and he lives in this world where people can essentially live forever, um, enabled by this technology that allows you to put your soul, so to speak, into different bodies or sleeves. And that's what the sleeve is, yep. Exactly. Um, and the first season is more about a specific mission, uh, this sort of proud... Trying to solve a mystery. It's almost a noir detective story. Yeah, this opulent man has decided to wake up the most famous soldier in history to solve his murder, the hubris of this man. It's pretty arrogant. <laughs> um, his murder, in air quotes, because, you know, he's not really dead. He right. has no memory of his death, and he wants to know who tried to kill him. Plot twist, he killed himself. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and throughout the season just Kovac really just reveals that immortality just like only aggravates the harms of capitalism allows rich people hundreds of years in life and ideal bodies and then there's a scene where they put the soul of a six-year-old girl who was lucky enough to survive her death into the sleeve of an old lady it hurt my heart because then her whole life just disappears. Yeah, well, it's just her family sees her, and they're like, why is she in this? You guys said that you'd, you'd give her a free sleeve. We didn't mean, no, you meant, like, whatever was available. So Yeah. They didn't think it would be with strings attached to it, which is you only get a couple more years of your life. Exactly. So, mm. I don't know, Kovac just really has an option to, he can go back to being dead. Like, that, he could do that, and no one would fault him for it but it's interesting that even though he resents this concept of like everlasting life he really can't seem to let go of life right he's just why do you think he can't um well i feel like i feel like the show wants you to believe it's because he just loves quell um Mm -hmm. so his great love is the anti-stack sleeve revolutionary which you know makes sense but then you find out that she also made the stacks herself. So twists she, on twists on twists. More monsters, more heroes. Uh, clearly didn't go as planned, but her idea was like endless exploration and achievement and all of these ideas. And then it got corrupted. Things, obviously. Um, and then, you know, to Kovach, who was essentially walking around in someone else's body for much of the show, he is this thing that he hates and he shouldn't be here. And her, I feel like her memory and his sister's memory drives his desire to survive, but it doesn't really make sense because when the show, when it starts, he thinks they're both dead. Okay. So when he discovers that they're alive and he's like, oh, I have to find her. Okay, fine. But like when you thought she was dead, you didn't want to die. 
So, uh, so he does have a self-preservationist streak going. Oh, absolutely, which is interesting because he's not supposed to. And I feel like they try to make you believe that he doesn't really. Like, his character is very stoic and, you know, focused and just can't wait to get back to being dead. Like, that's the way things are supposed to be. But he doesn't That he finishes this job and then can just clock out. Yeah, which is funny because, one, he doesn't need to do the job. He's doing the job for the type of people that he hates. And he doesn't need all of this endless money that they're going to promise him unless he doesn't intend to die. And I just feel like he's looking for reasons to live. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's kind of what makes him this conflicted hero slash monster? Oh, absolutely. Like, is he actually doing this for good reasons? Does he even think about who he's working for? Yeah, he is. He is who he hates, but he he doesn't want to stop. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I, I also enjoy how much the show explores sort of these other ideas, you know, that really talk about classism, mm-hmm. indigeneity, genocide, and lots and lots of retribution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I, if I had to talk to Kovach, I just would wonder what what makes him feel qualified to be an agent of change when he thinks that people who ought to be alive, the, like the modern people are the people who should be, you mm. know, driving the change in the world. Like, can you really say that you believe that and then make all of these decisions for so many people. Right. As somebody who's hundreds of years old. So. I mean, that's kind of an age old story where it's like, you have to like make the choice for humanity, all the pressures on your shoulders when it really, no one should be able to have that much power and make that choice. But I think more specifically, not just like nobody should, but he doesn't think that anyone should. But yet he's still doing it. So. I mean, I guess honorable mention here to the old guard because I think that our protagonist in that film, also on Netflix, um, (laughs) struggles with something similar. How so? Well, because I don't feel like she... I think she's just tired. She's tired of, like, humans' conflict and she no longer feels like it's supposed to be her business. And almost like that she's been meddling for so long and nothing has really changed. It's like, what's the point? Exactly. It's like, well, maybe I should get some of my own business. But the funny thing is the difference between her and Kovach is that while she's beginning to harbor some hatred for what she is, she actually can't stop. Yeah, I think she could. She tries sort of at times where she's like, no, we shouldn't do this. But then it's like everyone else convinces her. The rest of the crew are all like, no, we should. Like when she first has the vision, she's like, remember when we all first had that vision of who we were? And how alone we felt. She's she needs somebody. She's like, well, also, I guess she I'll can't do it. Die. I feel like that right. really changes it because Kovach can't die. He could have his staff retired, though they do keep spinning him back up against his will. So there's a little bit of that. Yeah. There. But and I guess in some ways she gets brought back against her will. I guess without getting too dark about it, she could like permanently like I don't know, decapitate herself or something. I just I don't know if she can. <laughs> I mean, I just think that there is a question with that character. Of course, you know that they're going to die and you know that they're afraid of death. And when it does come, they're not going to be stoked about it. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's also something exhausting about them waking up every time mm-hmm. and being forced to live. Like, yeah, she doesn't want to meddle, but I feel like that's part of just her being alive and having the power that she has is she just 
is driven to live because she mm. can't die and Kovach could. And I feel like that's interesting that he still seems to share that drive to live and meddle and use all of these abilities to change this world that doesn't really belong to him anymore. Do you think she in the old guard is a hero? And I'm, I'm not just saying superheroes, even though it is based off comics. Do you think she still has like the desire to do good or it's like, has she become so bitter and disillusioned because of loss and pain that she can't, can't do it anymore? Oh, I definitely think she still can do good. I don't think that it matters as much in the old guard, whether or not she's a hero. Mm -hmm. I feel like they really, they sort of tell you that at the beginning where they ask, where, you know, the new girl asks them whether or not they're good guys. And they're like, well, depends on the century. You know, Mm -hmm. we fought for sides that won and sides that lost and history is told by the victors. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that sort of language of humanity is constantly in tension and which side is good and which side is bad becomes arbitrary when you've lived as long as they have. I don't think that the lines for Takeshi and Altered Carbon are as blurred. I feel like he has a very strong conviction about who is right here and who is wrong. And... I think that there it's less debatable also. So you know that but I, I think that even in in the old guard, she usually fights for the side that is altruistic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay, although we don't we hero. don't get a lot of details on that. No, they show no, like the wall and they're like, Yeah, they just sort of been picking sides. But I'm like, sometimes there are gonna be conflicts where it's like not quite so clear cut. Like that's why they keep showing you pictures of her with children. They're like, she's a good guy. I yeah, that's the only thing I wish from the old guard that they had almost like, and maybe they'll do it in the second one where they're like, oh, some of her consequences of their actions are catching up with them. And not just because of someone from their past coming back, but because of some of the choices they have made have repercussions. Exactly. You have to understand that your actions have consequences. Consequences! (laughs) When will you learn? Okay. Um, I do think um, Takeshi's is is definitely more clear-cut because, you know, it gets to just a straight-up genocide situation. Yeah. Well, that's definitely wrong. Um, And the old guard, it would have felt weird if they, like, took it to some level of that, which I almost at one point thought because it's like, oh, they're doing, like, medical experiments on people, like, what if there's some like eugenic stuff being thrown into there where it's like we have to create the super strong race of people that can't die but that would have felt way out of context with like some of the like more fun action sequences with pop music and stuff absolutely i would like to see four more of the old guards they might do it honestly i'm just saying as far as shows that i feel like really have the potential to be worn into the ground long before I get tired of them. <laughs> I just want to know the backstories. I just don't feel like I got any sort of exposition about... There were small glimpses, but not much. I just, I, I get to know the characters' names and just enough information to, like, create this sort of card in my head of who they are. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> Italian, fought in the Crusades, gay... <laughs> fantastic loving boyfriend <laughs> and they had the most flushed out relationship they did and it still wasn't enough for me <laughs> i want to see them meet i want there to be a time that they kill each other over something petty because <laughs> they're like yeah we killed each other multiple times and i whenever they say that i'm like multiple times during the crusades 
or multiple times because that's what y'all be doing is that what y'all are on hey you know they they can do whatever they want they're mm-hmm. two consenting toxic adults. immortal stuff <laughs> i'm really here for that i want to know <laughs> oh yeah they they probably will make movies of this because it was it was pretty big hit of all the action movies of the summer that's probably been the biggest one because there isn't really anything for it to compete with except for maybe tenant if you consider that an action movie but i don't know my mom old guard. Watched the old guard did your mom like it yes she did oh good and she mentioned it because she you know she, my mom doesn't she's not very Ah, she's gonna listen to this. All right, whatever. She knows. She's not super, super discerning about movies. She like picks out her fine. movie. Like, okay, whatever. This this sounds interesting, and she's not like, oh, I'm gonna go analyze whether or not this is a really fantastic film. She definitely watches movies that are oh. you know, highbrow but also lowbrow. So she just tells me about them <laughs> equally. You know, like they're the same. It's really, really exciting because she called me to tell me oh she watched this one movie and I was like oh okay that's cute maybe I'll check it out and then she was like oh and also the old guard and I was like wait hold on that's a movie I watched <laughs> so I I like that it had um appeal to so many people I don't think you should ever be like oh I don't know the old guard has to be like high art or like you no don't no I don't it. I you don't, don't even think it. that I thought that when I watched it when I watched it I wasn't sure that it was going to be good I didn't know that so many people were going to watch it I think that's that's more what I mean that I think that the audience for the old guard was broader than I anticipated. And I felt like that was really exemplified by the fact that a lot of people that I, I mean, I guess this is anecdotal, but a lot of people that I spoke to had already seen it. Mm -hmm. And I watch a lot of Netflix movies. My mom watches a lot of Netflix movies and it's pretty rare that so many of my friends who watched a lot of Netflix films, watch all watch the same one in a similar time frame. It's because the people loved it. It was word of mouth. But that's what I mean, without suggesting it to each other, like completely independently of one another. We all just watched this movie. And that's what's cool, where movies kind of catch on. Because I don't know, The Old Guard had that, whereas like the movie Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth action movie, didn't quite have that same fun. Everyone's like, this is fun. You got to see it. I don't know. There's no one way to like look at a movie or be like, you don't get it. Like, you're just a pleb. I don't mean that i just mean like she's she doesn't think oh this movie looks bad i don't mm-hmm. think my mom hardly ever says that she's just like oh that plot sounds interesting and sometimes we watch them together and they're bad but we still really like them and mm-hmm. so it was interesting that it's just a plot that just seemed compelling to everyone like even I- to people who are more discerning like mm, i'm not sure we still watched it and enjoyed it i thought that was cool I don't know. I because you were saying like we can get to this later, but you were saying your mom watches like trash. I watched some like high quality, lowbrow trash. I watched which I was trying to find Fatal Affair, which was quite a movie, and then The Kissing Booth. I did watch that second one, but we'll get to that later. I don't want to derail us. I watch a lot of trash, but that's what I'm saying. Like I don't expect you to watch that much trash, honestly. So (laughs) when I watched The Old Guard, I thought I was watching trash kind of it's it knows what it is like i i didn't take it super seriously and i didn't think it took itself super seriously it would have the necessary dramatic moments but oftentimes it was just then to get to like the next like big action sequence even though i'm gonna be honest when kiki lane's character is going up the elevator and she's like preparing herself for the big final confrontation Mm-hmm. The way that was shot and the music, I was like, whoa, I'm invested with her character. She's come back. She's putting herself at risk. She's going to try and risk it all. 
I care about this person. This is what I'm saying. I felt like I was signing up for a trash film. And when I started watching it, I was like, nope. I felt like I was saying yes to something that people were going to say no to. (laughs) And instead, it was like everyone was like, oh, yeah, I watched that. That was great. I agree. I agree. And when you told me you watched it, I was like, what? Why was that a surprise? It was one of the bigger movies. I was curious. See, I didn't, I guess I just didn't know that. I, because to me, it was just a Netflix movie. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I was watching trash. And my mom, I know she didn't, she wasn't even thinking about that. She's not worried about it. I know, it. I know. I'm maybe too plugged into it. I should, I should step back and be like, what are, what are the general folks thinking of it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I don't always watch a film with the intention to analyze it or talk about it on our little show and that's honestly fine sometimes I watch a movie and I like don't have a lot to say about it where I'm like that was good I enjoyed that but at the end of that one I was like oh I'm going to talk about this with people (laughs) do you have anything else you want to talk about with it um no I'll just go on to say that a lot of those examples don't actually use the language of heroism so we sort of recognize the show's heroes but um, we have some other examples here that more directly label characters as heroes, even though some of them are assholes. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on those heroes to perform. And so we're going to talk about The Boys. I don't know if you all have seen The Boys on Amazon Prime. It's it's coming out with a second season soon. It's quite a show. Uh, yeah, The Boys is a show about superheroes, very literally about superheroes an exaggerated world where like superheroes are managed by like this evil mega corporation which is kind of funny considering who released the movie and they're (laughs) and they're so like hyper managed and like worried about their image but in reality they're all pretty horrible deeply flawed sometimes bordering on sociopathic people that also happen to have superpowers which is terrifying and so the boys are just the average people that are trying to like bring them down and bring some sort of knowledge about how there's this dark underside to these brightly colored heroes that basically they don't call them that but it's basically superman wonder woman the flash aquaman and then i don't know they're not always one-to-one but it's basically the archetypes of the justice league but they're scary like what if superman who has the power to annihilate anyone and no one can stop him, also was a sociopath. Not just a sociopath, a big giant freaking man baby who thinks he can (laughs) just kill whoever because he was developed in a freaking Petri dish. (laughs) Spoilers, he doesn't know that at the beginning. (laughs) No, he doesn't, but he just lacks the love of anyone. And as a result, he just has serious, serious problems. Like he needs a mother's love badly and the things that he chooses to supplement it with are disturbing mm-hmm. um <laughs> i think the show kind of shines a light backwards on the superhero assumption that good people with powers are heroes and bad people with powers are villains and they get to be like more complicated than that they have like really realistic political and emotional factors yeah um but you do still have a true hero you get starlight yeah, Starlight, um, who would she be? Is she anyone one-to-one? I'm trying to think. Oh, just like a hero? Oh, She doesn't have to be. She's just the only one with Starfire, powers. But that's not really like a, you know, uh, that's kind hero, of could but, be it. But yeah, she's, she's got that sort of 
but she's actually she's superman is the truth yeah exactly <laughs> um, but we have a character who is superman but evil but starlight is homegrown you know kind of family appeal nice christian background but she's also genuinely a good person too yeah and which I is also, a rarity in this world i feel like starlight is like the audience like mm-hmm. she is a reminder of what we think heroes are supposed to be but mm-hmm. at the same time she shares the surprise and disgust with every in every moment with the audience and, and there's a lot to be on. disgusted about like it oh, it genuinely shocks me how like depraved it gets and i think that's necessary because it's like yeah we're not messing around we are totally doing a takedown of the like heroes are flawless because like i don't know if you saw batman versus superman this feels kind of what batman versus superman was trying to do a little bit where it's like superman has become a god but like what happens when you see that a god can bleed or whatever and is actually like flaw like flawed this is like yep they're like all horrible like starfire when she shows up is like sexually harassed and sorry Mm -hmm. she she is like put through like all these horrible things Not just harassed trigger warnings all over the place it gets worse because that's what's horrible is she like does what's asked of her and is coerced into a sexual encounter and it's horrible like you feel sick to your stomach because you're like oh, this has been this person who is just so genuine and good. Not that, like, that is necessary to feel bad for her, but it's like, oh, wow, she really has been totally deceived and duped later that you realize by her parents, by everyone. It's horrible. also the glass breaks for her so quickly. Like, she gets this job, and within the hour, she realizes that these people are bad. I do think something interesting, just as far as our topic of, like, Monsters and Heroes goes, yeah. And the boys, the characters are incredibly human. Like mm-hmm. that's their monstrosity, that they're just more inclined to the deviance of just regular old humanity. Like they yeah. just have insane power dynamics and they're just abusing them in the same ways that humans usually do. And that's what makes it so good is how closely it hits home. Like, like oh, the... I know these monsters. Exactly. You can see people you know in them. And like there's the character who leads sort of a megachurch-esque um, festival, and you realize, oh, all of his hateful, homophobic things he's saying, he's a hypocrite, and he's actually going to gay clubs, and you see him there, and it's like, of course, because he has all this power, he lives by a separate set of rules and is willing to completely destroy other people's lives and not care at all. And that he's just like one of the side characters. He's not a main character there. He's just someone they have to get information out of. But oh, it's all so bad. And like, oh, who is who's the guy? What's his name? That's Aquaman. Because oh. we should be clear, he's the one that sexually assaults her. It's jeez. Oh, the deep. He's also they call him the, the deep. deep. He's and incredibly he, incompetent. He's incredibly incompetent. There's like one or two goofy scenes that I feel like are weird and didn't need to be in it. I don't think the show is like quite perfect, but he's just like a really sad person. And that doesn't excuse it, but it just is like very pathetic feeling because it again is like, oh, these heroes are like on this pedestal and just like very like without any sort of underside or dark secrets. And here he is where it's just like, oh, no, he's a harassing, assaulter, pervert who just is like sad and has no friends and is like very just like wormy and gross. 
and just by the end you're like yeah he's i loathe this character he's horrible but even then after all of that that sort of experience that he has with starlight comes full circle and it's more disgusting you realize that the way the deep is you wouldn't even wish it on him because he has that experience where he is also assaulted it is a lot more graphic (laughs) yes but it's (laughs) awful i don't even wish it on him it's terrible it's just he's just such a terrible character he shouldn't be it's a terrible world like the more i watch it there's like funny dark humor in it but honestly there are moments where after i would watch it, i'm like i kind of need to take a shower like it yeah. just really becomes really gross feeling and it's just the, it's it's really about the horror of our world and i feel right. like it it really reveals that that like oh all of you know what all of your comic books are missing and all of your superhero but superhero movies were missing the truth <laughs> i don't like that it's not at all an escapist sort of heroes can save the world like the the scene with the airplane where they all go and are it, it's very much like a scene from one of the superman movies where like he's able to lift the plane and fly it okay. away which they even acknowledge he can't do but instead, they're like, oh, we messed it up. All these people are probably going to die. In order to avoid a PR incident, we're just going to let everyone die. Yeah, we kind of have to kill them all. Because right. if any one of them gets out, they're going to tell them that, you know, we let them die. We failed. And, and he's like, oh, then we won't get our military contracts. Like, they're so horrible. Not to mention, um, you discovered, the spoilers all over the place. I know. It's Homelander been out for a while. Went above everyone's heads because at the end of the day he's the only person with laser vision who can slice people in half so he's gonna kind of do what he wants to create actual supervillain terrorists so that they would get the military contract as the only people who can fight supervillains and just the creation of creating supervillains so that you have something to fight is just terrible and i think a lot about um oh gosh what are you thinking of? Oh gosh, what is it called? It's that TV show with um. You're gonna have to describe it more than that. Uh, oh, okay. I think a lot about Firefly and about whoa, the, okay. About the fact that the great monstrosity that Firefly was leading up to, this terrible crime that was committed, is that they basically created the supervillains of the universe. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, they didn't even do it on purpose. <laughs> You're right. So it was this great, terrible secret. It was the worst thing they could have done. Everybody was shocked and appalled by something they essentially did on accident by like poisoning all of these people, trying to make them docile. And I think about how Homelander just casually did it on purpose. Yeah. Well, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about anyone but himself, really. Well, we'll find out because he has a little one to worry about now. So So that's something I do want to talk about. I think the... I think I have mixed feelings about the ending a little bit because it like ends on a cliffhanger and this almost felt like it was a contained story where it was almost like a parable about, and I know you're going to say you want more, but I think they could have wrapped it up and I would have been like, this told a good effective story Yeah. and I'm worried it might run it into the ground and get a little bit lost. I know why you disagree. Let me know. Okay. Well, because, and we're going to talk about this later. I think that, a lot of hero stories have to do with parenting. Mm-hmm. Like what kind of hero kind of person you're going to become because you have, you know, sort of 
Blade and Whistler. Um, you have Altered Carbon and um, Takeshi and his relationship with Quell, even though it's not like a familial relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, though, even then, there's a lot of emphasis on his experience growing up and how that shaped the kind of person that he was going to become. And mm-hmm. I feel like something that you clearly lack with Homelander, even, even the idea that they set up all this fake set to pretend that he grew up like a normal child, that he resents that they took that from him, even though it has made him the psychopath that he is. I think he recognizes that there is something missing. Mm-hmm. And there was that, no growing up that he had. He had to grow yeah. up really fast. Yeah, but not. I mean, not just growing up really fast. He didn't. He didn't get to be a child at all. Period. He didn't even really know what a child was. He was just sort of, you know. So do you think he's trying room. to recreate that with his family somehow? And like exactly, I think. That, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's so cringe. But I feel like I think that's it. Would be an interesting character development to see how homelander is going to deal with being a parent can homelander be a parent no is this what, what's going to happen if he tries and Not good things <laughs> i mean definitely but i just i'm i'm really interested in seeing that and also the idea that somebody could love him because you know how is this kid also going to react to the appearance of a parent that is very clearly related to him right I don't know if anyone can ever really love him as himself. I, see, I don't think that's going to happen. But that's that's another thing that I think that a lot of season one has to do with is this idea that he projected his desire for a mother onto his boss, which was very creepy. But then it. he just killed her. Like it was well, nothing. he killed her because he realized she didn't love him. Yeah, but I mean, that's that means he never, it was never about love. It was about power. It was about but, controlling someone. But see, that's what I mean. Does, one, does Homelander know the difference? And two, no. is there, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but also, is there a possibility that he could be, what's the word? Redeemed. Like, is there a chance for Homelander to, to not, I don't mean to be redeemed in our eyes, but the idea that this innocent person could actually love him and how could that change his character? Because before it was like that woman had all of that control over him. She was the mm-hmm. only character who had any control over him. And you realize that it's because he deluded himself into thinking that she loved him. And it was and, a facade. All and along. the second that it, it fell apart, he killed everybody. Which is terrifying. Like he, there, there's part of me that's worried that now that he knows everything, he's just like too powerful to like, I'm worried over the course of a second season, they're going to find all these weird narrative excuses about why he just doesn't kill everybody in his path. But like they were able to sort of justify it in this one where it'd be like, oh, an explosion over here distracted him. Or like we managed to hide this thing and he couldn't figure it out. In the second one, he now knows who Billy Butcher is. Mm-hmm. But now and... we, that's what I mean. I feel like he has this sort of Superman problem where without that woman and his weird peering into her breastfeeding, um, <laughs> he, normal things. he has no weakness. And I feel like inserting... Yeah a child into that story might do something interesting. I like wonder what they're going to do with that. I would love to see him bend to the will of a six-year-old. <laughs> but then will the six-year-old become just as much a monster as he is? But he, the six-year-old has parents, so it's not, he's not in the same situation. Well, one just, of his parents is a horrible person. <laughs> but the other one who's been raising him most of the time is presumably a normal mother. 
Yeah, you would hope. He needs at least one. Well, so I feel like the idea is that you're like, okay, Homelander's a monster, and we're going to tell you through season one how they created Homelander and how they essentially made him a monster. Like, obviously, he's got personal responsibility for his actions, but also they really (laughs) dealt him the worst hand possible, like a straight path to sociopathy. And alternatively, you have this young character who is essentially just like Homelander. They have the same powers, the same everything, except that this kid might get some parents. And what does that look like? And does it does it change Homelander? Does it change the kid? What does it mean for Billy Butcher? (laughs) Can I can I speak about Huey and A Train for one second? Yes. I think the way they handled that in the first season was a little anticlimactic. And again, I'm withholding some opinion because I don't know what the second season is. But the fact that A-Train just sort of dies of a heart attack because of the drugs he's taking, there is some tragedy to that because it is that he brought about his own demise. But it sort of then was like, that was a lot of the heart of the show, especially for Huey. And then it was like, oh, that's over now. Like, what is the second season going to look like for Huey? If I was Huey... I would just leave. I'd be like, now I don't have any reason to be around here anymore unless he's already implicated in it and he can't, which is yeah. probable. But I, I, the whole time I would just be like, why is... He already was leaning that direction of, I don't feel like this is worth it, like becoming disillusioned and didn't want to like cause harm because he'd already done a lot of that and was dealing with the trauma of blowing someone up in the like third episode. I don't know if I was Huey and I feel like the way his character is leaning he's gonna just be wanting to leave for most of it and it maybe it could just be that that would be interesting that Billy uh spirals so much farther down when Huey leaves because Huey was like a small glimpse of humanity mm-hmm. but I don't I'm I'm nervous for a second season I feel like this could have been a contained story and the more they start to stretch it out the more I get nervous that it could be too much like a normal superhero show because the show felt like it was very self-aware of the tropes and if they start to stretch it too far I'm worried they might have to fall back on those tropes to have things even make sense well I think I think that it is kind of a contained story about how Huey's introduced to this sort of underworld of superheroes Mm-hmm. I think that the second season, its first task is going to have to be explaining why the characters would still be invested. Because mm-hmm. Billy Butcher has also lost that. We don't know how he's going to respond, and I'm sure that'll be drama in and of itself. But at the end of the day, he's been fighting because he believed that his wife was murdered or kidnapped. Now that's become clear that was a lie. That That wasn't what happened. So if he's going to continue to investigate these characters which i believe they will but i think they're going to have to find new reasons for them to be invested huey sort of has a bit of an out in starlight and they both should leave i i don't want to see either of them involved in this mess of a, a world starlight's not leaving there's no way <laughs> i mean she kind of wants to though she was becoming disillusioned with a lot of it too yes but i don't think that starlight is going to go in that direction i think that she's going to become more of like a rebel character as far as like her relationship with the company that she works for like i would love to see her become a regular old superhero vigilante but Mm -hmm. i would also like to see her like actually challenge the organization for which she works she's going to have a new boss because the old ones had her eyes seared out so i think there's going to there's just going to be a whole new structure for season two and i'm excited for that they 
managed to wrap that up in such a way that it didn't seem like there could be that many changes, but they're going to have to fill in for so many lost characters. Unless it literally just picks up and then they just sort of like treat it as like literally the very moment after the end of the first season, they keep going. Oh, they, are. Oh, they, they definitely are. But even then to like continue the plot, like what, what are they going to do next? Like you have to drive the rest of the, the like because, center of the season. Because in the first season, and I kind of would have moments where it would get a hang up where it's like, oh, they have to find the drug to figure out why mm-hmm. a train was running and ran through Huey's girlfriend so that they can expose it. But then it becomes clear that they're not really caring about going public or exposing it. Billy just wants revenge. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, but revenge for what now? Yeah, because I just think they're, they're going to have to find new factors to drive, you know, those filler episodes that we love so dearly. Like, yeah, there like were you, a few. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with filler episodes, but I do think that there needs to be a plot structure and a lot of that has fallen apart. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what they are going to have to build as the background for all of that now and like you think about what heroes remain what heroes do we not know anything about there's the the noir guy i don't even know what he does for yeah <laughs> he's the batman sort of <laughs> yeah kind of yeah he's super weird um <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say anything i'm sure that he's gotta have a plot eventually um maybe yeah i don't i, don't I think know. i think I it's a running gag that he just doesn't talk and that like with the piano scene where it's like the corporate party and he just kicks the guy off the piano and plays the piano. Yeah. It's just what he likes. I mean, he likes yeah, being I mean, stoic and piano playing and doing the dirty work. But I, I enjoy that they've, I, I appreciate that they've sort of planted these smaller characters that seem kind of irrelevant mm-hmm. and could possibly get their own plot to sort of drive the story. And there are really a lot of them. You've got the sort of terrorist who whose sister is you know sort of caught up with the boys and mm-hmm. sort of finding out whether or not there is going to be a reuniting scene um or is her brother has he been completely radicalized can he be saved there's going to be there's so much of that to still unpack and i feel like they they might be able to pull another good season out of that yeah i would be curious i don't know i just i don't i don't want to see it go on for too long i feel like these shows to like maintain the like kind of strong commentary that I think is there about what superhero stories we tell. I don't know. I kind of felt that way with Watchmen where I was like, okay, Watchmen was one season and the writers and everyone were like, if we have more to tell, we'll tell it. And I was like, good. I appreciate that. That's honesty. I don't want to see it like be like, oh, we have to make more because now people are invested. We can't, we can't start from scratch and make something new. We got to just keep making it until no one wants it anymore. We're just going to disagree because that's what I, I know about television. I never stop watching <laughs> it. <laughs> they make I, them I would, me. <laughs> I would rather have them wrap up. Like a, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Dark. And that ended after three seasons and was good ending. If they had gone for too long that you just are like totally uninvested, it almost cheapens the whole thing. I agree, but I also think that there is room for those two different kinds of shows for limited right. series um, that are written to be finished and series that are written to sort of, I don't know, grow up with you. I really enjoy <laughs> that. I do. Maybe it's because oh, I, was was vamp- <laughs> I was an old vampire diary stan. And oh, I think yeah, about I how that. terrible season three through five are. <laughs> three debatably through five? Six. Yeah, I rewatched them as an adult. I started all over because I wanted to, I don't know. Oh, I wanted to start the new season, but 
I was dating somebody who hadn't seen the show and I was like, so you this had is to bring them exhausting up if you haven't seen this. And I realized that a lot of those middle seasons are bad. <laughs> They're just bad. But if you told me that I couldn't have season seven and eight without sitting through, the, through three through five, I'll take it. And uh, the magicians got canceled and in some ways, okay, fine. You guys got to end on a good note. It's been a great show. And on another note, I am so sad. I have to find a new family. <laughs> I am a hurt. I'm a hurt that it's canceled. Well, they're and not gonna they're not gonna cancel the boys because it's their big show currently. They have another show, Utopia, that's coming, but that's a show they ripped off from a previous existing show, and I'm a little mad about it. Still gonna watch it, but the boys is their big one. I feel like they have Hannah, which yeah, was a awesome. show. And like a few others, but I feel like the boys has the biggest hype around it because it taps into that superhero pop culture obsession, but also has something to say about it while being like subtle enough that people almost watch it and they're like, oh, this is kind of a superhero show, but with a lot of a darker, cynical tone to it that feels more authentic. I don't know. I, I would like to see all of these characters continue. I'm a little sad that the show is so good that they're not going to continue to supplement it with doppelgangers a little sad about that um, it's one of my favorite trash tv tools to keep mm -hmm. a show going where you just take the actor and let them play another character that looks like them for reasons yeah um, alternate right. timelines or you know clones whatever but i i would like i like the idea that a show might not end in a few seasons that maybe I could count on this for seven or eight of them and really get seven attached. Seven or eight? Oh boy, okay. And get attached <laughs> to it. I, I would be fine with something lasting as long as the Vampire Diaries. I really am. And if it could be higher quality than that and still have that sort of longevity, another show that is that similarly, I didn't watch it, but I know people feel this way about Grey's Anatomy. Can't yeah, but that's, they're still yeah. going. Yeah, I can't. And I remember when people started watching it and deciding not to. And now I'm like, wow, they just get their little family. They watch them grow old on on screen. <laughs> I like that. I do. Um, anywho, fair. speaking of growing old and also parenting and multiple timelines and yeah, all those things, the boys in Umbrella Academy. Because the Umbrella Academy is kind of, I think, the culmination of a lot of what we've been talking about, all these superhero mm -hmm. things that have come before it. Because the Umbrella Academy is similarly a little self-aware, but kind of like very stylized and fun with like music sequences and cool visuals. And I liked it. I liked the first season a lot. There were some moments in it that I think it kind of lost me once or twice. But did you see the clip Netflix released of like the opening scene of it? Of season two? Yeah. I have not. I have not have not. <laughs> it's fine. It essentially is just them all running around and four. Is that his name or is it five? I can't remember. It's been so long. The kid, the youngest. I think one, four. Four is the little one. Who's been traveling through time. He like sees them all fighting. And some of the staging is weird where like they're fighting around soldiers that are all like standing right next to each other. He's but that five, almost feels like the point. Where it's like a very like goofily staged kind of tongue-in-cheek thing. It almost feels like Scott Pilgrim at times. Mm -hmm. Like very much like leaped off a comic book page. And like they do the the final curtain song. And it's got me hooked. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
I do think they'll address, because for those people that don't know, the first season was primarily about Ellen Page's character discovering that her entire family had kind of <laughs> lied to her and told her that she didn't have any powers, consistently drugged her to keep her under control. But then... They had good reasons. They did have good reasons, but the lying then built up to be so much that it led to these big explosions of consequence that I think could have been prevented. And I think their father figure, because this whole thing feels kind of to loop it back around at the beginning, this whole thing feels like a riff on the X-Men. They literally, as children, are taken to like this school and there's this guy and he's a monocle. There is like a chimp man too, but... <laughs> I feel like it's it's in conversation with all of these shows where it's like, oh, all of these dynamics that you believed in superhero films, what if they worked how they would actually work? Like, if you just have somebody who comes in, takes you from your family and tries to raise you to be a superhero, let's talk about all the ways that that could fail. Like, oh, for sure. What, what happens when they're just trying to train you in something they have no idea how to do? Or they try to push you and they do it in a way that like traumatizes you and makes you turn to drugs. <laughs> I mean, that's it it has a darker edge to it. It it very much is like, yeah, these are it's kids failure. who had They're no family, heroes. were expected to be like almost child soldiers. And that's what makes it really interesting that Luther is the only one that sticks around. He's the one who stays the longest and then also gets like the worst deal out of it where he becomes like disfigured in order to save his life and then sent to the moon which sure whatever (laughs) for supposedly no reason as far as we know yeah basically he was doing nothing and just was like needing to have a purpose sort of i don't know he's also the least powerful of all of his siblings uh because they're ordered that i mean that's their order their order in is it delineates their power and their strength. But I don't know if I agree with that order. I mean, I, I, he can't do anything. What what can Diego do that he can't? He's like strong in the in the first. Diego can hold the, his breath indefinitely. For sure, but in the in the like first scene of the new season, he gets hit by like a rocket launcher. Luther does. I mean, yes, he's very strong and he's very big, but Diego can <laughs> hold his breath indefinitely and curve the trajectory of things that he throws. So he can throw knives and hold his breath, and that makes him better? He's the freaking Aquaman. Hold on. Okay. Okay. He's not just... <laughs> okay, he can't talk to, like, sea creatures, for sure. That kind of sucks. But I do think that that's more impressive than, number one, being big. Luther's just big. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm curious about it. I'm I'm... I'm more interested in a second season for this because I feel like the first season was very much like establishing these characters and their own ways of dealing with this like traumatic childhood where they were very much without any sort of good parenting and any sort of good role models. And Ellen Page unfortunately seemed kind of the most well-adjusted out of all of them. But then it's like, even then her family still wouldn't tell her and that led to it all exploding because it's not really her fault. Uh, it is. <laughs> I wouldn't say so because she gets deceived by this boyfriend who she trusts oh, yeah. and lets into oh, her okay. life. And that's brutal. Like you can that's see true. it as the audience, but that's something that's scary. Like imagine no, there's someone you that. trust so much and let into your life 
and they start manipulating you in ways you don't notice until it's too late. Not to mention everybody who loves claims to love her is constantly abusing her. I meant more that it was her fault that they lied to her her whole life because as terrible as it is, and I do think there are points in the show in which they can tell her, like they just choose not to. But she didn't choose to have the powers. The, The powers and the abilities she has she wasn't able to control, but she was trying. It's no, no, she wasn't. Um, little Vanya has yeah. anger issues. But severe. she's a kid. She's <laughs> That's a not the point. She's a child who killed multiple, multiple nannies before he eventually had to build a robot mom for her so that she couldn't murder her. But here's <laughs> here's the thing: when you say that, I don't really take that seriously. Like that sentence is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm saying she would just straight up like throw her nannies and break their necks so that she wouldn't have to listen to them. I do understand why they just had to tell her that she didn't have powers. They didn't need to bully her. That's or drug her and deceive her because it was also well, the fact that her sister uses her power to make her forget. Like that's I, messing with her mind. Again, I I think the problem is that as a child they did. I feel like when she becomes an adult, they were there, as I said, multiple moments where they can address it and talk to her as a person. But I do think that her knowledge that she has this power and her tendency to use it irresponsibly when she's angry, is it something that you can just like rationalize with a child if they're at risk of murdering people? That's fair. And like I understand they drugged her so that she wouldn't display her powers because she's not just going to stop getting mad. <laughs> she's not going to stop having anger issues. So even if you tell her, oh, you can't use your powers anymore, that clearly was not working for Vanya. She did not care. And when, right. you, and when they show you the little flashbacks, <laughs> that's a badass little kid. <laughs> she's but not- they're... There had to be some knowledge that this would come back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, that's what I mean. I just feel like after she becomes an adult. You try and tell her. You break it to her easier instead of having it be something she has to discover by herself. Exactly. And not just discover by herself. Like, it's practically, it is drawn out of her through this abusive relationship. And by a guy who just doesn't care about her. And she's never had anybody care about her. Or she thinks that nobody's ever cared about her. I just don't feel like the bullying and the alienation from her family was necessary. Like, I feel like that's where her dad really failed. I mean, her dad, quote unquote, really failed with the parenting is just being like, oh, we're just going to exclude Vanya from everything. And he just took it too far. He really was trying to drill it in that she didn't have powers as if the rumor has it wasn't good enough. You're right. You're right. That was just unnecessary. To give the show a compliment, I will say, I think it handles sort of that like feeling of betrayal from the father better than some x-men movies do Mm -hmm. especially the last x-men movie i think they didn't quite work through that as great as they could have this is like oh no there's like deception and lying in the Mm x-men movies it always felt like there was like a missing scene or some other thing to set up because charles is almost like too naively good Mm -hmm. in this there is like an intent where it's like we're going to lie to her it's for her own good but that is a little bit more of a well-written, meaty story idea to be like, oh, should you be lying to this person? Is that a good idea or no? Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that we're coming down on different sides of it. I mean, I mean, I just, I understand the reasons why you wouldn't lie. And I feel like when I watched it, I felt like, oh, wow, that's so mean. They shouldn't have done that to Vanya. 
And then I really thought about it. I thought about how would you deal with this sort of psychopathic seven-year-old who can really murder anybody whenever she has a temper tantrum? What, what do you do? <laughs> she knows that she has powers already. She knows how she can use them. She knows that there are practically no repercussions. And she's stronger than all of her siblings. Like, right. she could really become a bully very easily. And she's too young to reason with. And he tries. He does try. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it just sucks that the cookie crumbled that way. He probably should have told her when she was like 16, 17. That's just like when you should have the conversation. <laughs> You're right. I'm I'm curious about where it'll go. We might talk about it probably next week. Because I it's going to be the show I'm kind of just like. It's, it's not like light, I would say. But it's like very poppy and like less serious than the boys will be. Because there's gore and kind of hyper violence, but mm-hmm. the stylization makes it so it doesn't feel quite as serious. Yeah. Like in the boys, someone just gets like obliterated when they get run through, and that's like horrible. In this, it's like, ah, oh, everyone's doing it to a pop song, and they play like, I think we're alone now dancing in the house. Mm-hmm. It's great. And Mary J. Blige is yeah, kicking butt and heels. And Hazel, yeah. Hazel shows up in the trailer and he has like a white beard that is the fakest thing I've ever seen. And I think it's a joke. I think it's intentional. He likes like, hello, old timer. And he's just like, that there's a nuke. And that's how this his introduction is. I do, as I said, you know, I love comedic relief. Um, I would like to see. Okay, so here's my prediction. I don't know okay. about if it's gonna happen this season okay. or next season. But it seems obvious to me that um, number four, Robert Sheehan's character, um, is supposed to bring back his dad. You think? <laughs> well, I, I think that his powers are supposed to eventually manifest in his ability to bring back the dead. And there's been a, a slow conversation about that. And then when he is in that trance state and he is talking to his dead father, he's like, wow, I can't believe it took you that long to come see me. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's this expectation that his father killed himself to bring them all back together. And then he was supposed to bring him back. But it clearly isn't going that smoothly because they aren't very well coordinated. Um, <laughs> but he's not able to bring people back like as they were yet is what I just yet. I'm not okay. I'm not sure where his powers are going but I feel like he is definitely on the slowish journey to figuring out like the full mm-hmm. extent of his own powers you know That's partially fair. fighting with himself which um, he's been using his drug addiction to run from essentially exactly because his dad locked him in a mausoleum yeah i know that was bad <laughs> like psychopath. His, his dad was abusive i think we're we're slowly approaching that as like <laughs> well it also just felt like his dad read a comic book and thought, i know and then he like, read x-men specifically and thought oh i can do this this is how you push people to their full potential and he just failed which is why they really needed a mom um but and, the mom would have gotten killed <laughs> by the dog. But, but that's what I mean. They had a mom. I, that was, for me, in season one, the greatest loss. That one really broke my heart. Because yeah. I don't feel like... I don't feel like you even got to know what she knew and what she didn't know. Right. It was like, a little rushed. Yeah. Like, I mean, for me, my mom is my best friend. And so Diego's relationship, because he pretty much has a rocky relationship with everyone. Oh, the absolutely. one person that he has a love-hate relationship with dies. Mm-hmm. And the only person who he really still has is his mom. But you don't know what secrets she keeps. 
what she knows and what she doesn't know. And the same goes for the the little chimp man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess I'm wondering if they don't bring their dad back from the dead, who is going to give any sort of exposition about what the heck is actually supposed to be going on? What was his intention? I think number five could, and I, I disagree. I think the dad is not going to come back because if he were to be brought back, it would just make it too much about him. Whereas I think the story has always about them overcoming that traumatic upbringing that he brought about to just inject him in the story would feel like it took away from that. It would like lock it back too much into the past. But I also feel like there's this crazy freaking F plot <laughs> that he had a plan <laughs> that he had this idea of how this was going to go. And I know everybody else seems to know except them. And now everybody's dead and I want to know. <laughs> so they need to figure out a way to tell us as an audience what is actually supposed to go and why, why uh, Sir Reginald, killed himself yeah i know and also whether or not he's an alien (laughs) (laughs) there are so many questions so many questions that need to be answered and they they have to figure out a way well by the time people are listening to this we'll all be able to find out and and maybe we'll talk about it next week and we'll see who's right do you have any closing thoughts tell us in season two i am going to be hot i'm gonna come back (laughs) next thursday next friday and we're gonna have to have a serious conversation about why this show hates me (laughs) that's fair that's fair do you have any closing thoughts on umbrella academy or any of the the stories about heroes and monsters uh yeah one more what happened so how many how many of them are there there's there's seven of them right Well, there's the younger one that died that then uh, number four can see via ghosts and he has the tentacle powers okay so i really would like to know i don't think they're going to tell me but i would like to know what happened to the other 36 children well i think it, the implication is that they couldn't survive that they just didn't make it no 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 he goes around to all of the different women and ask them for their children. Oh, and you mean some say no? Oh, Yeah, uh, most of them say no. Only seven of them say yes. And so where are all of the other superhuman children? Is it that they couldn't unlock their powers without some guidance? Or what is... I guess that's my final question for the show. I just I have a I have a lot of questions and they I might bring they... them in as like a separate antagonist or to complicate the story because they have to fight someone with powers to put them on a more level playing field. Yeah, I'm just worried they're going to just leave those plot holes, which could happen. I feel like that could happen to me, to yeah. me specifically, <laughs> not to the audience. This is about but to Quinnell. It is yeah. an to you. <laughs> Absolutely, they need to write me an apology. But no, I feel like that could happen. But I would like to know how that's going to play into the show i'm getting i'm getting limited series vibes from umbrella academy and i'm just worried that they're going to wrap up the story in Mm -hmm. three maybe four seasons without answering a lot of these questions and i don't want that because you want more always more i just i just want answers Right. I, there are limited series that I enjoy. I really liked Watership Down. If you guys want to watch a bunch of bunnies deal with their <laughs> own problems, it's a great limited series. I felt like it wrapped it up. Being based on a book helped. But this also has, you know, a textual source. So mm-hmm. that so I have not limitations read, but, to it. Exactly. But I, I hope that it also wraps that up. 
Speaking so. of things that should wrap up, <laughs> I'm going to transition sort of into, I guess, Chase's like preview of things coming soon, but this is the thing that actually came out last I week. I think we should call it Chase Chase's Releases. Chase Chase's Releases, sure. <laughs> Except this already came out, but I guess they're making a third one that is coming out. I had seen Kissing Booth like forever ago and was not a fan of it. I understand it probably wasn't for me, but I don't know who it's for exactly. Short women. <laughs> sure. And then I saw Kissing Booth 2 and I was like, there's no way this can be worse than the first one. And it absolutely is. And it's very confusing. Firstly, it's longer and it doesn't need to be. Secondly, the storyline feels like it's just like a stall. Like nothing really changes throughout the whole movie. Did you watch it? I did not see the second one. Okay, you shouldn't. This is just going to be brief. It's like she's struggling to figure out who she is, what college she wants to go to, and what her future is. And at the end of the movie, she deletes her essay and is like, actually, I want to be more like everyone else I know. And I'm like, so you are completely empty and nothing changed. And I even watched the trailer for the third movie or like a small sneak peek clip and she's like ignoring a car call from Harvard, which is hilarious, but she's just like, oh, I can't answer the Harvard call. So like nothing has changed. There's still like just all these like silly things. It's not bad and good enough, bad enough to be good fun. And the biggest disappointment is there's the guy Jacob Elordi who was in Euphoria, and he's great. And at the beginning of the movie, the second one, he's like, oh, I'm going off to college. And I'm like, oh, he realized this is not something he wants to be a part of. He now was a good actor in another show that had a lot more going on. But no, he's still in it. And I just feel so bad. Everyone in it, I feel bad. I feel like it's just so strange. And I don't know who it's for, but apparently people love it. So they already made a third one. But that should be it. And I don't know if I'll watch the third one. We have to now. <laughs> Maybe. It's going to take a lot because this was like a slog. It was way too long. I could see every sort of twist coming. There was a whole thing where she's like, oh, he's cheating on me when he absolutely was not. And it was super clear he wasn't. They just need to communicate. Every single conflict could have been solved by them talking for like five minutes. That's how I feel about most movies. But <laughs> I know, but this was like dialed up to 11 where I'm like, literally just say this thing and it will fix it. But they're like, oh, no, I can't talk to him. Have you ever seen the Avengers? Anyway. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But this is like, there's no fun like sequences in it. There's like kind of the fun dance sequence, I suppose. But that was like two minutes of like a two hour long movie. Anyway, going to rattle off some other things that are coming soon and then I'll be done. Oh, I just want to interject that uh, the only Go thing I it. do really like about Kissing Booth um, was <sighs> that Joey King is short. I don't know if I that you guys got that vibe from me saying for short women, but it is fantastic that she is 5'3 because her, the actor who opposes her is so tall and they shoot so many of the shots of her face from his elbow and it's so it's funny. It's like, is that meant to be a joke? No, she's just a short actress. They're just, it's just short. And I feel like I appreciate that as a short girl dating a tall man. I, I like seeing my truth on screen once in a while. Oh my Joey God. King's height is my believe. truth. <laughs> okay. Carry well, on. Well, there, I'll, I'll go through them quick just because, I don't know, we've been going long. There are two movies I saw that are coming out when people listening to this, but there was a movie I saw today that came out on Shudder which is a horror movie that I wasn't expecting to like, but I actually kind of did. Did you see, Quinnell, when on Twitter there was like this video going around of someone being like, oh, I heard a sound in my attic on a Zoom call? 
and they're talking mm-hmm. with all their friends mm-hmm. and it went viral mm-hmm. basically that same team of people was like oh people love this let's all make a zoom horror movie and i know my reaction was kind of like a little bit grown ish but i'm actually kind of impressed they managed to pull it off they all independently did their own lighting and special effects because there's some pretty good sequences with like chairs moving because the entire story is they do a seance virtually with each other which sounds really hokey but they do a pretty good job for executing on it and I kind of liked it it's only 50 minutes so it's kind of just a really long short film it kind of runs into that trouble where it's like why are people still filming their zoom call they would just not be doing that especially towards the end but it was fun I don't know I wanted to throw out just kind of a fun horror movie um I do have to say, I feel like I love hate that that is a relatable film now. And that... it, it does play, <laughs> take place during pandemic. They make references to the fact that they're quarantined. Well, and just can't like go sometimes I watch movies and people are just out in the world at weddings and doing <laughs> all sorts of things that you simply cannot do. And I feel like there's this disconnect between myself and movies sometimes. It's, it makes me want to watch more movies, but I also find myself laughing at things that are normal like i watched crazy rich asians oh and it's a huge giant blowout wedding time they have a gathering i'm like no 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 (laughs) what are you doing i watched them every time i see a commercial where people are at at, or an ad for a movie where people are at a wedding or they're on the street walking closely with one another (laughs) not not six feet of distance i have like absolutely what is going on here this should be illegal (laughs) anyway so if you want to watch a movie that is like literally set during our time and everyone's like oh we can't go anywhere this is it it's not a perfect movie but i still liked it for what it was it was a pretty impressive feat that they were able to do it um i like it a lot more than the type of unfriended movie just because that is like a little bit too strange where it's like oh then it was a ghost that makes them do all this stuff this is more just like oh it's not a haunting from someone they knew just much more straightforward kind of a good time then something totally unrelated and not all similar there's a documentary called the fight about the aclu and four or five separate cases they take up against the trump administration it's kind of particularly timing especially considering different legal challenges to federal officials coming into different cities and them being involved in similar overreaches of government. It's pretty interesting. There's a big section in the middle where I feel like they wash over the fact that the ACLU defended white supremacists in the past and also at the Unite the Right rally, which they did do. And I think there's a conversation to be had about that. But I feel like the documentary just washes over it and is like, yeah, we defend free speech. A few people disagree. But I think they deserve to get challenged a little bit more on their narrow view of free speech as being totally ignoring the context of power and race and money. And I don't know. It didn't bother as many other critics. I just felt like if they were going to have it, devote a little bit more time to it, flush it out more fully, grapple with it. Because it's interesting. All the lawyers don't actually get to talk about it. They just show them reacting to news footage. I'm like, I'm sure they have thoughts about it. Were they not allowed to talk about it? It's the moment where it almost feels like they're trying to cover their own ass a little bit. I don't know. It's still a good documentary, though. And the other one is this movie, Summerland. It comes out tomorrow, although apparently not in Canada, if we have any listeners in Canada. (laughs) I don't know why. At this point, everything's on video on demand. 
but it's a movie with Gemma Arterton, sort of set during World War II. It's not really a war movie. It's set against the backdrop of a war movie. The one thing I would say, she is really great. And it's it's a nice movie. It made me feel sweet. I might have shed a tear. It's not the best movie of all time. It's a little bit too kind of, oh, devoid of like any sort of real conflict that happens. There's sort of some revelations toward the end that make things more interesting, but I wish they'd been developed a little bit more. But yeah, I would I would recommend both those movies, all three of those movies. Do you have anything you would recommend? Yeah, I want to plug a little a little blackness on Netflix is going on. Um, oh, I saw all that. <laughs> they are releasing some classic um, black sitcoms like Sister, Sister, Girlfriends, and Moesha on Netflix. So that's exciting. If you all have not seen any of these shows, you're like, wow, what's this? Now's the time. Uh, now is absolutely the time. I'm kind of upset that Living Single isn't really on the list. Maybe that's um, coming next. It absolutely needs to because that is, that's the friends. That's friends before friends. That's like the friends blueprint. Um, but I, I hope you all go and watch those. In addition, um, on a more obscure note, Netflix has a lot of Nigerian films. And they have been progressively more interesting. I really, oh, oh gosh, there's a word for it that's like a play on like Hollywood and Bollywood about the Nigerian films, and I forget what it's called. But uh, if you guys want to go check those out, my mom and I watch a lot of them while she's doing my hair, and we, it's, it's definitely like a, a niche thing that we're really into now. So if you're interested in watching some Nigerians tell some cool, relatable stories, you can check that out on Netflix too. And, um, Looking forward to talking to you all about Umbrella Academy. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have thoughts. There will be things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm looking at the little ad right now, and I'm like, oh, we're going to binge. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope everyone has a good weekend. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Yeah. Just just be good to each other. Just, just be kind. Absolutely. Stay safe and see you guys hear you guys uh you guys I don't you'll know hear us should be. <laughs> next friday <laughs> bye bye everybody